may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and I will answer as many as I can. And I know, because we just looked at some of the numbers, we have thousands of listeners out there. It is really amazing The just come along for the ride. We always have good stuff, good stories, lots of stuff to learn. And I do appreciate all of you joining in our show. You know, I was thinking this week, I was just driving to the studio. There is no snow outside. There's no snow. The whole country has snow. The East Coast has snow. The South has snow. The West has snow. And here we are in the Great Lakes region, and I'm a little disappointed. What should I tell you? We need snow. But but we know that there is snow up north. So when we go, God willing, next week with the kids up north and snowmobile and tubing and stuff, they at least have snow. But here, you can't make a snowball. There's just nothing out there. Which is a little disappointing. But okay, let's get to important stuff. This week's Torah portion is very famous because the Ten Commandments are in this week's Torah portion. Everybody knows the Ten Commandments. You just know about them. Maybe you can't list all of them. Think about it for a second. If you actually could list all ten of them, and uh, don't work too hard. So the question comes to mind, why isn't the name of this week's Torah portion the Ten Commandments? I mean, come on. Like, if this is it, God's coming down and Moses accepting the two tablets and he's getting the Ten Commandments and we're getting the Torah. So what should be the name of this week's Torah portion? Torah, Ten Commandments, so many things. Instead, I'm not saying it's disappointing, but I think we should think about it. The name of this week's Torah portion is Yisro or Jethro. It is the name of Moses' father-in-law who plays a very small role um, in all these portions. We meet him a little bit um, in Shemos when he lets Moses marry his daughter. Um, we meet him for one chapter over here, and he's going to help with judges and stuff. But why is it that whoever, whoever was the one that created, and it goes way back, but whoever created the names of the Torah portions why did this person decide that in the Torah portion that has the Ten Commandments, we have Yisrael? So, you know, as I'm thinking, I actually came up with a new answer. I have an answer written down over here, which is what I prepared. But actually, a new idea came to my head. And as I probably told you in the past, um, when I've heard this from big speakers, um, whenever you're speaking to an audience and an idea falls into your head, you should share it. Because God is telling you, I have an idea that I want you to spread. 
And therefore, this idea fell into my head. So first, before I get to the idea I have written down, I'm going to tell you the idea that fell into my head. And that is, Jethro, or Yisro, is really um, the first convert. He is the first one to become Jewish. Now, it's very confusing. We talk about it a lot. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the forefathers. They are the fathers. And you have the 12 tribes. But the Jewish people becomes a nation at Mount Sinai. It's, there's no such thing really as outsiders joining the Jewish people. There was just no way to do it. It is true you have this group of tagalongs called the Erevrav that left Egypt with the Jews, but I don't even know exactly what they were. But Jethro, Yisro, he comes to join the Jewish people. He's the first one. So a person who converts, what is he accepting upon himself? He's accepting upon himself to follow God's law. What's God's law? What's the When we think of God's law, we think of the Ten Commandments. It's really 613, of course. But for most regular people, the first thing that comes to mind is Ten Commandments. And the truth is that there is a, a, a safer, a book, written by Usadja Gain, where he shows how the Ten Commandments are really ten categories and how all 613 mitzvahs fall into one of the ten categories. So, therefore, the person naming the Torah portion maybe had in mind that this week's Torah portion is not just about the Ten Commandments. What this week's Torah portion is about is accepting the Torah. Who better to understand the concept of accepting the Torah than the first person who converted, and that is Jethro, that is Yisro. That is what flew into my head as I was asking the question. But now I'm going to take a step back because I have a whole different answer, which is probably similar by the time we finish, but it's with a little bit different bend, and I think a very, very important lesson for everybody. First, let's talk who is Yisro, who is Jethro, who is this person? So... The Medrash talks about him. He was an advisor to Pharaoh. When was he an advisor to Pharaoh? So when Pharaoh was getting ready, he was deliberating what should he do with the Jewish people, um, which is before Moses was born. Uh, So he has three famous advisors. One is this Jethro. One is the famous Bilaam, who attempted to curse the Jewish people. And one is the famous Eo for Job, the one, of course, with all the suffering. So at that point, when Pharaoh was looking for advice of what to do, so Yisro says, you can't start up with the Jewish people. That's a, a lack of gratitude. Their, their great-great-grandfather, Joseph, he saved the country. Jacob saved the country, made the river overflow, and Joseph made Egypt into a world power by collecting all the grain and selling the grain. So how could you go ahead and start up with their descendants? And the Pharaoh didn't appreciate that piece of advice, and therefore Jethro runs for his life, and he settles in Midian and becomes high priest. He was like, I mean, I've said it before, he's like, in those days he would be equal to the Pope. And he was like the leading spiritual leader, um, at least in that area of the world. And he gives it all up, by the way, to join Moses and the Jewish people. Now, 
That's who Yisro is. Okay, so he is, I will say this in a nice way, he is an outsider. He was not born um, as a descendant of Jacob and the 12 tribes. Um, he didn't suffer with us in Egypt. He was an important person. He was an advisor. He was a spiritual person, just not Jewish. And again, he was a, he was a, he was a spiritual leader. And he gives it all up to join the Jewish people. And the Torah wants to teach us something fascinating. And maybe that is the lesson of why we name this week's Torah portion Yisro or Jethro. And the reason is because a person could think that the only ones who can become Jewish leaders, the only ones who who can become great rabbis, are people who were born Jewish. Perhaps this religion or leadership in this religion are for those who who were exclusively, who were born Jewish. So it's like a club. Your parents are Jewish, grandparents are Jewish, great-grandparents are Jewish. You're in this exclusive club, and therefore the leadership roles will go to those people. And this Torah portion is teaching us right away that is completely not true. Yisro is the first, but there's fantastic examples, which is great that we have so many examples to show that being a Torah leader, a Torah scholar, um, has nothing to do with who your parents were. It's, again, we've talked in other weeks that certain souls to come down, the parents need to be very special. But now we're on the flip side of the coin. And on the flip side of the coin, we're going to find you could become a special person irregardless of who your parents were. So, for example... We have the famous Ruth, right, Rus, which uh, she's the one, of course, that uh, she married um, Nami's son. Her son dies. It was really her and her sister, Rus and Arpa. And this Rus is a princess from Moab, and she comes back with Nami after the family, they die, and the money is wiped out. She comes back to the land of Israel, and eventually she'll marry Boaz, and King David is her descendant. She's a convert, okay? We have the famous Rabbi Akiva. Everybody's heard of Rabbi Akiva. The great Rabbi Akiva, convert. The great Shmaya and Avtalion. Now, those names for most of you are not going to be familiar, but Shmaya and Avtalion were the teachers of the great Hillel. Hillel and Shammai, right? Everybody's heard of Hillel, and we know how humble he was, and he was that leader, lived about 100 and change years before the temple was destroyed. Um, so this great Hillel, his teachers were converts. That is actually a fascinating piece of Talmud where um, one time, um, it must have been after Yom Kippur, so everybody is following the high priest home and then they see Shemayin of Talion and the crowd shifts and they go from the high priest and they follow Shemayin of Talion and the high priest is insulted. And he lets Shmaya Avtalia know that he's insulted, and basically Shmaya and he says, you know, like who do you guys think you are? Like you're converts. Like who are you? And Shmaya Avtalia basically let him have it, and they and they talk to him probably nicely, but very pointedly that uh, you know you're 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 disrespecting us for what? Because we were, we were converts. That's not the way it's supposed to be. So, anyways. There are multiple, multiple examples 
of great people that were not born Jewish. And that, again, is the lesson of this week's Torah portion that Yisro, who is converts, is telling us the Torah is not exclusive to those who were born into the club, if you'd like to say it that way, but the Torah is there for anybody who wants it. Come and get it, as they say. And that I'll go off on a drop of a tangent. Um, it is interesting. Uh, Moses and Joshua, by the way, um, are commanded to write the Torah in 70 languages. And it was open for anybody to come and get it. And there's a complaint against um, all the nations that didn't come and get it when they had a chance. So even though it's true, the Torah has been translated, obviously, into multiple languages. And we have the famous Septuaginta, or however you pronounce it, um, which was the translation of the 70, where one of the Talmai kings took 70 sages, put them in separate rooms, and had them all translate the Torah in a three-day period without talking to each other, and each one translated exactly the same into Greek, uh, which would be miraculous. It, But we actually, we're unhappy that they did it, because the nations of the world were supposed to come and get Moses's and Joshua's translation, not a later translation. And again, the difference was the earlier generations would have understood that it's nice to have the written law translated, but without a teacher to tell you the nuances and the details and, and all the laws that come with the translation, that was lost. So once it was translated into Greek, the world said, we got your Torah if we want it. We'll come and look at it, but we don't need any help. And that, of course, is a terrible tragedy. So that is our second reason why it's named after Jethro. And, of course, the first reason that I mentioned to you before, that reason that came into my head, that the point of the Torah portion is the acceptance. And it's what did we do by Mount Sinai? And we'll talk about that more in the next show. What do we do by Mount Sinai? We accepted the Torah, which is exactly what a convert comes and does. Right? And I don't want to get too involved. There's a lot of stuff going on in Israel, of course, with who's a Jew and converting and stuff. But from an orthodox point of view, the translation of converting means you're accepting what the Torah says. You're accepting to keep the whole Torah. If you're not going to accept to keep the laws, so what's Jewish about you? As if I'm born Jewish, okay, I'm born Jewish, what should I do? I do keep the laws, I don't keep the laws, I'm a, I'm a little stuck. But if you want to convert, then you got to come along and accept and do what it says. Otherwise, what are you converting for? You're converting to what? So that's an issue, and there's a lot more issues with it now, of who's in charge of the conversion of Israel, and that is definitely not the direction I would like to go, even though I'm sure many of you would like me to go in that direction, but I shall not. But let's go a little further into what's going on in this week's story portion. So Yisro shows up. Why? Why is he showing up? So the Torah portion starts out and says, Yisro heard stuff. Right? said, what did he hear? He heard that the Jewish people had crossed through the Red Sea and the Egyptian army had been destroyed. And he also heard that the nation of Amalek came and fought with the Jewish people. Now, the, the crossing of the Red Sea, the splitting of the Red Sea, all those miracles, you know, that's something that I understand you're coming for. What does have anything to do with Amalek starting up with the Jewish people? Okay, we had a war, we won. I'm sure that was also miraculous, but 
I don't think, at least, you know, at first blush, I don't think that compares to hearing about or equating it to the crossing of the Red Sea, the splitting of the Red Sea. You tell me, you heard about the Red Sea, you heard about the plagues in Egypt, you heard about the miracles, you heard how God is taking care of the Jewish people, you want to come. But what does Amalek have to do with anything? So it is interesting. First of all, I saw some people say Yisro needed to see both. In other words, he wants to join the Jewish people, but what kind of God is in charge of the Jewish people? Maybe it's just a vengeful God that likes to take revenge when he sees uh, they're being pursued by the Egyptian army and the Egyptians made them suffer. He's just taking revenge and you're wiping them out. Do I want to be connected to such a God? You could question. You could think about it at least. But then comes the story of Amalek, a nation who for no reason started up. And God here shows he's protecting the Jewish people. God did not allow Joshua to wipe out this nation of Amalek that started up with us for absolutely no reason. So now I understand that this that God saved us by the splitting of the Red Sea has nothing to do with them being vengeful, taking revenge. This is God's protecting the Jewish people, just like he protected them when Amalek started up. So now I get a better picture of who God is. I'm ready to join the Jewish people. That is one answer that is given to explain why Yisro had to hear both these things. I'll give you another answer that's brought down. Another answer they say is, um, and I always tell my class a, a, a story when I explain this. There was a Russian soldier, Jewish. And in those days, you know, Mother Russia, right, you were not allowed to retreat. If you were on the front line, you better not budge. You are standing there, or lying down, whatever you're doing. You are defending Mother Russia. You do not retreat under any circumstance. So there's a guy, and he um, was on the front line, and he says, God, I don't want to be on the front line. I tell you what, God, I'll make you a deal. If you get me off these front lines, I will go back to yeshiva. I will go study your Torah. I will be religious. I'll be a great guy. No sooner had the words left his mouth, you hear a gunshot, and his trigger finger gets hit by a bullet, and he faints. Take him to the hospital. I mean, look, if you faint, we can't leave you on the front line. Take him to the hospital. Um, they take care of him, and a few days later, they're ready to release him, but his trigger finger um, is paralyzed. So no point, right? If you can't actually shoot the gun, then the army has no use for you, so they sent him on his way. Amazing. He prayed to God, and in a second, God took care of him. So the guy has a conversation with God. He says, God, I know I promised that I would go straight back to learn Torah and be religious and stuff, but I tell you the truth. I have three months left of college to finish. Let me go finish my three months of college, and then I'll go and I'll, uh, I'll do all that religious stuff. Well, <laughs> we all know how the story ends, right? Three months later, you don't remember the conversation so good. This person, by the way, is telling over this story when he's older, living in the land of Israel. He says, there was a fire. I had a fire to go study. I was ready. I was burning. But I let something cool off the fire, something cool off the excitement. And as soon as that happens, it's all over. So Yisro, 
really the whole world. You hear about this great miracle. There's really lots of people lining up to join the Jewish people. How come they weren't lining up to join the Jewish people? Why? Here's why. Because they, you know, were busy. You know, I should go check out that Jewish nation. Look, they had all those miracles. Their God is unbelievable. But, you know, I have a doctor appointment tomorrow, and I have a business meeting the next day, and I promised my kids we're going to Disneyland. And all of a sudden, so many things um, push my my uh, idea out of the way. When I'm actually ready, I don't have the burn. I don't have the desire anymore. Yisro says, if a Amalek could go ahead and start up with the Jewish people sometime soon, a few weeks maybe, after the crossing of the Red Sea, then I got to learn to act immediately. Because if you don't act immediately, you could even go ahead and make a war and start up with the Jewish people. Therefore, Yisro acts and he goes. Now, it is another, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening at the beginning of this story. It's like every word, there's something to wonder about what exactly is going on. I'm trying to get through as many as I could. I probably won't get through everything. So Yisro comes with Moses' wife, Tzipporah, and Moses' two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. Now, he comes to the Jewish people. There are these clouds surrounding the Jewish people. You can't walk in. There's no door to knock on. There's no gate. There's no guard to say, could you deliver a message, please? I'm Moses' father-in-law, and I got his wife and kids with me. There's just these clouds. You can't get through. So either he took a letter and he stuck it into the cloud, or he took an arrow and he tied the letter to the arrow and he shot it into the cloud. In any case, he sends a message to Moses, please come and bring me in. If you don't want to come for me, come for your wife. If you don't want to come for your wife, please come for your kids. And it says Moses came for Jethro. Now you got to picture the story. My father-in-law uh, would always bring this story up when he wants to discuss what real honor means. We get confused what honor means. I'm a teacher. Having my third graders, you know, stand up for me when I walk into class, which they usually don't. Uh, That's not the honor I'm looking for. You know what I mean? If they tell me I did a great job that day or I told a great story. You know, my self-worth is not dependent on uh, how my third graders feel about me. Anyways, Moses has the letter. Going to go greet his father-in-law. He's not making an announcement what happens. He just, he knows what to do. His father-in-law is waiting. He's going to go to his father-in-law. Anyways, wherever Moses goes, Aaron goes. And wherever Moses and Aaron go, they're followed by um, Aaron's two older sons, Nadav and Avihu. Wherever Nadav and Aviu go, um, it feels like a little bit peep. Wherever they go, the 70 elders go. Well, if you are a regular person sitting outside your tent and you see Moses and Aaron, the greatest leaders of the Jewish people are walking somewhere. You want to know where they're going. So basically, there is a parade of the whole Jewish nation going to greet Yisro. They greet, they bring him in. Moses tells him all the things that happened. He wants to about the miracles. He wants to get him excited. He should join the Jewish people. But now I want to back up. Um, why is Tzipporah, why is Moses' wife with Yisro? Last time we saw Tzipporah, what happened was Moses is traveling with Tzipporah and the two kids um, to Egypt. They go to an inn outside of Egypt getting ready. Moses unpacks. 
but he delayed in giving his son Eliezer circumcision. The angel comes and, and basically swallows up Moses, and Zipporah figures out the reason is because her son didn't get a circumcision, and she circumcised her kid, and then the angel leaves. That's really the last we hear of them till right now. So they were going with Moses to Egypt, and now all of a sudden they're with Yisroel. How'd that happen? So Moses had wanted to bring his wife and kids to see all the miracles and the plagues, what's going to be. But, oh, man, and there goes the music. Anyways, Aaron told Moses, we don't need more people suffering. And there goes the music. Lots of things we didn't get to talk about, but I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have David and Andy in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi C. Jacobs, and you've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it.